As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody. It's another edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's your Thursday crew with you here. Ian Mendes, Sean McIndoo with you for the next 60 minutes or so ahead of this podcast. We'll have some fun with some Down Goes Brown columns from this past week, including uh, the three-team misery debate. That's what we're going to call it for Canadian teams. And we'll also have some fun with potential playoff matchups down the road. We'll also hit on some surprisingly hot starts for players like uh, Matthew Shane and Nazem Kadri. And we'll ask a question, and I'm sure Sean wants to delve into this one. Are the Toronto Maple Leafs for real? Uh, Granger Things is back. Jesse Granger is going to stop by for a little fantasy hockey talk and maybe talk about which players we should buy low on. And this week in hockey history looks back at the night Patrick Waugh was driven out of Montreal by the Detroit Red Wings and maybe the greatest jersey reveal of all time involving Raymond Bork and the Boston Bruins. But uh, hey, listen, this is great uh, to have you back. It's uh, Mendes and McIndoo uh, with you. Uh, for the next hour, like I said, you know what? Actually, now that I just say that out loud, we need to be fishing for a Thursday M and M sponsorship de- deal, right? We Madison do, M and M. That's right. Why aren't we doing this? Let's get our yeah. uh, podcasting people onto this, and it's a you know perfect sponsor, M and M. It's it's exactly, and I mean we could go one further, right? You throw Jesse in there, you throw Granger. That's now we're MGM. Oh, they got to fly us down MGM. to Vegas and we got to yes. do, yeah, I mean, we've got that, we got the bed MGM thing, but I think the oh. hotel itself needs to get us down there and, and let's, uh, let's talk this out. I, oh I'm going to pack a suitcase. Just, I'm that, sure that call's coming. Let's do it. And there's an M&M world in Vegas, isn't there? Like a big M&M store? Like, the synergy is here is off the charts. Coming. This, yeah. Coming it's together. Perfect. Yeah. And in fact, they're talking about what the all-star weekend in the NHL, that's the perfect time for us to launch this. You send us down. MGM, M&M, 
See, it's coming. It's it's gold. It's gold. Hey, listen, I'm I'm looking for any type of distraction right now. I'm not gonna lie mm-hmm. to you. For our listeners who who uh, may not be familiar with uh, with my work, I cover the Ottawa Senators for a a living here as a, kind of a beat writer. So they're dead last. Wednesday night, they lose to the Vancouver Canucks, who came into the game as a fellow last place team in their division. Ottawa gets clowned. What what I didn't like about that on Wednesday, Sean, JT Miller scores a goal. And my point is, when Connor McDavid scores a one-on-four goal, you're like, oh, man, you got to tip your hat. It's a generational player. You can't defend against him. When JT mm-hmm. Miller does it, and JT Miller's a good player. Like, JT Miller's a legitimate top six forward. I'm not, I'm not dragging JT Miller. But when you allow JT Miller to look like Connor McDavid, what does that say about you as a yeah. team, as an organization? So as much as I respect your column this week in which you rank the three misery uh, kind of rankings for the uh, Montreal Canadiens, Vancouver Canucks, Ottawa Senators, and you gave the nudge to Vancouver – Kind of feel like we need to reevaluate the situation because the Canucks just rolled through Montreal and Ottawa with wins, and the Senators fan base is like, "What? What's going on here?" Yeah, that uh, the the JT Miller goal, and you, you nailed it in your your column today, which I I encourage people to read. But uh, it, it, you know what it reminded me of is you know have you ever been like at, at a beer league game and <laughs> before the game they'll point to some guy on the other team and be like. That guy used to play like junior B or whatever. Like he's yeah. good. So and then you just get completely clowned by that guy. It looked like that, which is not a great comparison for the Senators when when you're getting compared to my my beer league teams. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's been. And then we had the whole Matt Murray drama, uh, which I, I still don't fully understand. But maybe the idea was, hey, we're gonna we're gonna shock the rest of this team awake. Doesn't seem to have worked. And the Canucks, you know, they they were decent in beating Montreal, but they looked real good uh, beating Ottawa, and that probably says more about the Senators and the Canucks. So yeah, I'm, I might have to reevaluate. I I still think big picture, the the obvious difference of those three teams is Montreal and Vancouver are, are trying to figure out: do we need to rebuild? Do we need to tear it down? Can can we can we do it with this core? The Senators have already been there. And the Senators do have a lot of those future pieces in place uh, that uh, that can still bring some optimism that, that you don't have in those other markets to the same extent. So big picture, I, I still feel like you could make a case the Senators are in better shape. But as far as right now in this year when the rebuild was supposed to be over, um, it's clearly not. And uh, yeah, I, I can absolutely understand why there'd be a lot of frustration in Ottawa right now. There's a, they're on pace for 36 points this season at the 20 game mark. And look, it's 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 only the quarter point of the season, so they, they could absolutely change that trajectory. But we're now getting into the conversation of could they potentially end up as being one of the worst teams in the salary cap era from a uh, standings perspective, right? Colorado, that, that one season that they had under 50 points, uh, they're kind of the you know, standard for, for, for bad cap teams. Mm -hmm. But I think what's really frustrating is Arizona was actively trying. It felt like all the moves Arizona made this year were to actively potentially try and drive this into the ground to get Shane right, or to just get rid of salary that you're behind them is what's concerning. And now you're getting into conversations of, 
are we the worst team? Are we like the worst team of the cap era? And that's a dangerous place to to be. That's all. Very much, yeah. And and you know, the, I guess you look at some of the the teams in the running for that. Detroit would be another one a few years ago. Um, you know, I, I, I guess again, if you're looking for optimism, you're going to point at that Colorado team that was so terrible and say it didn't take too long for that to turn around. So you know, maybe uh, you know, maybe we can be there too. But you know, at at some point, and this isn't just an Ottawa thing. This is any rebuilding team. At, at at some point, when do you become the Sabers? When do you become the team that just can't get out of it? I've used the metaphor a few times where a, a rebuild sometimes, you know, yeah, we all know what it's about. We all know you're going to finish at the bottom of the standings for a few years, collect those draft picks, shed the salary, all of the things involved in that. But at some point, you got to put your foot on the gas and see if if the car actually moves forward and, and how fast you can go. And, uh, you know, we've seen it with some teams. It's just, you know, they they have that moment. They say the rebuild's done, they hit the gas, and they go, and they start moving forward. And then there's other teams where they just spin the wheels, and it turns out you don't go anywhere. And that's an awful position to be in. The Sabres are exhibit A. There are other teams that are there. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying the Senators are there quite yet, but this this season has, has just been, uh, has been brutal. And it, it's brutal for the fan base because I don't think there were any Senators fans coming into this year saying, we're going to win the Cup. Uh, even though it was supposed to be year one of the run of unparalleled success that they were promised. Um, it's a smart fan base. They're realistic. They they knew that they weren't contenders yet. And probably a lot of them even thought that the playoffs were, were maybe um, a, a dicey proposition. But at the very least, as a Sens fan going into this year, you felt like, okay, after all of these years of being close to the bottom of the league, we're going to get to watch some meaningful hockey in the second half of the season, at least, you know, we're, we're going to at least stay close enough to the race that there's going to be a few nights where we're playing a Toronto or a Montreal or something. We're going to have an eye on that, that wild card spot. And we're going to be thinking about, you know, geez, we need the two points. And right now it doesn't look like they're going to get that. It looks like it's, it's the first week of December and they're already out of the running and to again, shift your focus to the lottery odds and start thinking ahead and going, okay, who are we going to pick now? Um, that big picture, maybe that's ultimately good for the team. They they could still use a few more pieces, but it's just got to be so frustrating to a fan base. And this isn't a fan base that got ahead of themselves. They were told by management the rebuild is over, so you, you can't blame them for having some optimism, and it just hasn't gone anywhere so far this year. Yeah, and my last point on this, because my God, I want to move on from this conversation. Trust me, I've been living it here. Uh, is you never want to become, Buffalo's a good example, the Oilers of the early 20, like 10 is another great example of you kept getting high draft picks, uh, Taylor Hall, uh, you know, RNH, uh, Neil Yakupov, uh, Eberly, and you just couldn't get traction with the group. And it just was like you couldn't surround them. It wasn't working. And that's what yep. you don't want to have happen. You can't just sit there and wait. That And Edmonton's fortunes really changed when they got McDavid. That, that was what changed it for them, right? Like it wasn't this mm-hmm. great – uh, managerial uh, decision that that got them to where they are. They they got Connor McDavid, and that's often what happens. Like Pittsburgh was bad for a long time. They got Crosby. Toronto was bad for for a few years, and they got Austin Matthews. Like you need that sort of generational player to shift things, and maybe that's Shane Wright for Ottawa. But I, I just feel like they've already been through. They've been through that. Yeah, and already. they don't have that guy yet. And and Shane Wright maybe could be. I mean, he's he's sort of a guy that is is viewed as 
potentially that sort of player, but not a lock. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's tough. And, and look, I always, you know, I'm not going to say I was a pessimist with the Senators, but I did find that a lot of the optimism with this team sort of revolved around, hey, let's take all the young guys and project them to reach their ceiling. And then, hey, the, the lineup looks pretty good. And that's just that's just not what happens. Even the Senators have been pretty good at, at drafting and developing, but there's always a few guys who let you down. There's always a few guys who don't reach that level. And and I wasn't convinced there were enough pieces here uh, to warrant some of the optimism that that you were hearing. But I also didn't expect that almost everybody would drop below that what that ceiling would be or that everybody would be let down. And it's just, you know, that that's kind of where you're at. I mean, Tim Stilzel hasn't been very good. Uh, you know, you, you keep waiting for Thomas Shabbat to take another step and, and it, it just doesn't seem to be there. And at some point it all plays together, right? I mean, it, what any individual player, is that on them or is that because of the team they're on and, and what they're surrounded with? And it's, it's tough. And look, we've seen teams flip it around, um, you know, even, even within a season, uh, it, it certainly could still happen, but we can only go based on what we've seen so far. And in the first two months of the season, it's uh, yeah, you, you put it perfectly. They're neck and neck with a team that is not even trying to win. That's a bad sign. All right. Now let's shift our focus here to talk about the other team that resides in the same province as, as Ottawa. That's the Toronto Maple Leafs on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of how they're... <laughs> as if we coming. hadn't lost every Senators fan already. Like yeah. We're going... They're yeah. talking, this is yeah. the yeah, only exactly. thing Senators fans want to hear about even less is, than the team being bad. Is the Toronto Maple Leafs who had a historic month of November, which they were uh, just dominant. Um, my, my question to you is, look, you said last year... When they lost in the first round of Montreal, you're like this. It, it was just different, man. You almost you your your sentiment was you've gotten me to the place where you can no longer hurt me. I have no more emotions. I'm, you know, you, you were borderline suggesting that you were emotionally detaching yourself from the situation, which I think was the feeling for a lot of fans. My question to you is now, as we've moved into December, and this team looks like I'll use that famous term juggernaut. Uh, oh boy! Now you've yeah. done it. Uh, are you starting to reconnect? Are you are you ready to be tricked again by the Toronto Maple Leafs? Yeah, I, I mean, look, I have said all along with with this Leafs team this season, it, none of it matters until the playoffs, and I I stand by that. It does. I mean, that we we saw how good they were in November. They could do that every month the rest of the way. They could finish with 120, 130 points. It, it won't matter if they go in and lose in the first round again. The season will be a failure. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, a tough, it's a tough year to be a Leafs fan because you're just sitting around and waiting for the playoffs and, and you know that there's, uh, there's really not too much else to, uh, to get excited about. Now, when they got off to the slow start, when they had that terrible game in Pittsburgh, I know there were a lot of Leaf fans who said, I'm, I'm done, I'm checked out. You know, not that I'm done being a fan, but I'm I'm done making this my Saturday night every weekend, and I you know I'm done following the day to day. I'm sure a lot of those fans are back. This team has been really, really good in November, and if there wasn't all the baggage and all the history, we'd absolutely be talking about them as potentially the Stanley Cup favorites uh, right now, based on how well they've played and the way that they've played. And you know, they've been so much better defensively; they're shutting teams down. Um, and, and for a long time in November, even though they were winning, the, the underlying numbers were telling you they actually were playing much better than the scoreboard was saying, and they were, they weren't getting bounces. And now 
the last week or so, they're starting to get those bounces, and now they're just running over teams. Um, yeah, they, they probably should be getting, I won't say more hype, because it's the Toronto Maple Leafs. They, they never need more hype, but more consideration as contenders. Um, but the baggage is there, and the history is there, and you don't get to just hand wave it away. So, uh, you know, am I ready to get hurt? Uh, yeah, I mean, when the playoffs come around, I'll, yeah. I'm sure I'll be there. But I'm not going to be sitting there, and I, you know, I don't care who they play or what the matchup is. I'm not going to be sitting there going, "Oh yeah, this is the we got it locked in, man." They they just won the President's Trophy. Oh, we're going to be fine. No, every single Leaf fan will be watching from the opening face off of the playoffs with their their eyes behind their hands, and and you know maybe maybe one eye peeking out from between the fingers, waiting for something to go wrong. And uh, the question is going to be, how much is that? attitude and that uh, that mentality also going to be on the team itself if at all um because we all know you know it doesn't matter how good you are you get in the playoffs you get a bounce here hot goalie there and and you're going to run into adversity at some point and you know does this Leafs team crumble when that happens we'll see does the fan base crumble yeah probably we've earned it uh, that's uh, that's what we should be doing at this point yeah and toronto by virtue of their you know lopsided win on wednesday against colorado put themselves into first place in the atlantic division and it kind of brings us to your uh your your other column that you dropped this week which was the way too early look at potential playoff matchups way too early way too early it's december the the 2nd but yeah i'm intrigued here because the the top of the the Atlantic Division is very top heavy in my estimation. There mm-hmm. are three teams that are playing at an elite level right now, and that's Toronto, Florida, and Tampa. And there are scenarios in which you can see all three of those teams finishing first or second or third. My question to you is the the scenario you uh, painted or predicted was what about Toronto, Tampa? These two teams have been at the top of their division the last you know five years and have avoided each other by by sheer fluke by happenstance maybe they're on a collision by, course by the year. fact that one of them only plays one round but, every year that yeah, probably the fact one little... of them only plays the Bruins yeah. but if we're looking at this I mean I think you like if you had to choose between Florida and Tampa as a first round playoff opponent I think you pick Florida even though they might be the better team this year, but I don't think that they're as maybe battle tested as Tampa. I, I don't know. Or maybe do you go? Would you subscribe to the theory that the Lightning, man, they got to be tired? They've no. played two straight playoff runs. Like, what's the advantageous scenario here? Yeah. Okay. Let me be crystal clear here. Okay, because I, I just you know, and the, the conversation we just had, people know who, who listen to this. I'm sure I'm a Maple Leafs fan. Have been my whole life. I don't hide it. Um, but sometimes I got to take my Maple Leafs hat off and put on my at least theoretically objective hat. And that that's what I was doing here as a Leafs fan. I don't want any part of the Tampa Bay lightning. Yeah, absolutely. Give me the Florida Panthers. Give me a team that has its own playoff scars and, you know, its own history. Um, and in theory it might be, be just as fragile. And, and yeah, I want that matchup absolutely any day of the week over the Tampa Bay lightning, but stepping back, taking off the Holbert glasses, just as a hockey fan, uh, Leafs Tampa would be fantastic, not just because of the the level of skill and and the star players that would be, that would be involved, but because of just the the storyline, the narrative there 
you've got this Leafs team. Like we said, nothing they do matters until they win in the playoffs. They and, and if they don't win in the playoffs, all bets are off. They might blow the whole thing up. Put them up against the two-time defending champs. That's a perfect matchup. Nobody wants to see the Leafs finally win a playoff series, uh, you know, against the Blue Jackets or some team, you know, some also ran that they've got almost no history with. Uh, no, if it's going to happen, let's really do it upright and let's have them, you know, if if they're going to slay the dragon, <laughs> uh, to borrow a term, let it be a real dragon. Let it be something where it's, it's you know, they're really going to earn it. Um, or they go out on their shield and then uh, and then who knows what happened. I just think that that if you're a, a neutral fan, and I know when it comes to the Maple Leafs, maybe there's not a lot of neutral fans out there. Um, this is the matchup you want to see. I mean, the, the drama, the storyline, everything would be perfect. And hey, by the way, if you're not a Leafs fan, you probably want to see them lose again. And you know, Tampa would, would absolutely be up to that task uh, for sure. And so looking at some of your other playoff matchups here, I mean, Battle of Alberta is one that I think a lot of us thought we were going to get. An obvious one, right? We, uh, and we thought all... we were going to get it a couple of years ago, right? Like, Yeah. Uh, until if the we uh, come, the... come close a few times. We were hoping for it last year, even in the Canadian division and, and Calgary uh, couldn't. Couldn't make it happen, but I, I mean, that's it's it's crazy to me. 1991 was the right. last time these two teams met in the playoffs. They've been in the same division every year since then. Haven't met in the playoffs in in 30 plus years. Yeah, and uh, it used to be an annual thing back in the 80s and 90s. So mm-hmm. the other one I wanted to talk to you about is Rangers Capitals. Um, well, I'll talk two two more here. Rangers Capitals because that would seem like it would be a delicious playoff series if it, yeah. if it came to if it came to pass absolutely i mean look anytime you're talking the rangers the number one matchup we want to see is the islanders which is another one that we haven't seen since the uh no i, I think 1994 was the last time um doesn't look like that's going to happen with the islanders this year or they got a long way to go to get back into the playoff picture so um to me it's it's washington and look i know that you go back to last year you go to the tom wilson thing the rag doll the the people getting fired. You go to the offseason they had. I know a lot of Rangers fans get their backup, and they say the changes were not because of one game. This was a team that got pushed around by a lot of teams, especially the Islanders. It wasn't a response just to the you know one YouTube clip that went around of Tom Wilson throwing Artemi Panarin around. And that's fair enough. But that clearly was a part of it. And, you know, the... The Rangers go and they they kind of try to redefine their identity in the offseason, partly so that they could push back against teams like Washington and and others. And then we go and we see it at opening night. That remember that really heavily hyped opening night showdown. And and yeah. it was kind of a dud. Like nothing happened. We talked about it on the show, right? It was just sort of like, oh, there, you know, nobody, you know, Wilson didn't do anything or have to do anything. There wasn't really a lot of bad blood. And then you looked at the schedule and they don't play again until late in the season. Now, you know, regular season, eh, you know, we, we can get a little bit of hype. There's, there's going to be some bad blood, that sort of thing, but it's nothing compared to the playoffs. And what I want to see is these two teams, seven games, you know, there is, it's a totally different mentality um, in the NHL. When you're lining up, you're facing off and it's a, Period one of game one. And you know, you got these guys for two weeks. So every hit you throw, every bit of damage you can do um, against these guys is going to help you win that series. It's not like the regular season where it's like, yeah, what am I? I'm going to hit this guy so that what the Minnesota Wild can can get a weaker team two nights from now. No, I don't care about that. 
in the playoffs, everything everything you do matters. And I would love to see, because you know Washington would would try to play the bully again. You know the Rangers would have to push back. You know, it, it's like I said in the column, it's not going to be the 1980s Patrick division. Those days are gone. We're never going to see that sort of hockey again. But a little bit of bad blood, you know, if it's if it's controlled and nobody goes too far, that makes for a great playoff series. And I feel like we could get it here on top of the already great storylines of, you know, here's this aging Capitals team. We're all expecting the window to close, going for, you know, one more run at a championship versus this young up and coming Rangers team and trying to learn, trying to, you know, figure out who they really are. I think it would just be a great series. Um, and I would love, you know, even though I'm, I'm no Tom Wilson fan, but give me seven games of Tom Wilson running around against the Rangers and the Rangers trying to figure out how to respond to that. I think that would be great entertainment. You know, the other team I want to bring up here, you, you said, hey, maybe a Minnesota Wild Winnipeg Jets playoff series would be compelling and interesting. The Minnesota Wild are in first place in in, in yeah. their division. And I'll be honest with you, at the start of the year, they were one of those teams who are like, man, I don't know what they are. Like, it wouldn't shock me. Remember, they got rid of Parise. They got rid of Suter. It felt like they were mm-hmm. maybe in for a little bit of an awkward stretch. Uh, these are not your, you know, are they an old enough franchise to say these aren't your father's Minnesota Wild? I don't think so. These aren't your older brother. I feel these like are, the, Minis- they- the Minnesota Wild were your father's Minnesota Wild on day one. Like, yeah. that's 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 the <laughs> exactly. thing with this team. They've yeah, always exactly. been that team where you're like, oh, yeah. okay. Jacques Lemaire and like No one's Mill. ever like pumped their fist and been like, I'm going to a Minnesota Wild game tonight. And, you know, and I said, I, I remember one time I wrote <laughs> that, uh, I said, this this team for its entire history has been so middle of the road that their logo should be a highway divider. And when you throw a line like that out about a team, you got to brace for like the pushback. And all I heard from was Wild fans going like, yeah, you, that's good. Uh, we like that. We're going to use that because uh, they do it. I mean, it's it's the only team never had a Hall of Fame player in the entire franchise history, like not even a guy dropping in for a week at the end of his career, uh, you know, always between like 85 and like 102 points, you know, always in the play. Even the years where there were a couple of years ago where, you know, we're like, wow, the wild are bad. And then at the end of the year, they've got like 85 points and you're like, okay, they weren't that bad. They never draft high. Uh, they never go deep in the playoffs. So yeah, their whole identity is there. The, when you, I, I, just did it when I when we were talking about the you know the yeah. the, the play. <laughs> I had to reach for a boring team and Minnesota Wild or the team that popped into your head. And so uh, you know here they are now. And and you know Kirill Kaprizov feels like the guy who kind of changed that when he showed up last year. And and this year took you know a bit of a slower start, um, but they're fun and and I love that. I'm completely like I would love to see. Minnesota Wild fans just get to watch that, uh, you know, thrilling, exciting team that really does matter uh, and makes people like me stop going for the easy, low-hanging fruit jokes because they don't fit anymore. Yeah, they're they're in terms of goals per game, they're a top five team. And that's not what you think of the Wild. You think of them, like you said, just sort of this middling, mediocre. It's, it's the Jacques Lemaire, right? We all still yeah. think Jacques Lemaire is the coach of this team. And... Uh, <laughs> They're it. They're fun. <laughs> Is there any team that Jacques Lemaire coached that he didn't leave them with this reputation of just being boring for decades? I mean, yep. I guess the Habs, right? He briefly coached the Habs, right, in the early eighties. I he, didn't he? Yeah, I, I think he did, but that, I think that was before he had achieved his final form as the 
Yeah. Dead puck era's uh, ultimate uh, coach. Yeah. And, and look, I mean, the why they had, what was a year two or three went to the conference final with him and you know, they, they were winning playoff games, one, nothing, which back in 2003 was exactly what you had to do um, in this league. So, you know, it's hard, hard to argue, especially when your expansion team with playing that way, but uh, man, they're, they're fun right now. And, you know, the, the one thing that makes you a little bit nervous is you mentioned the, the Suter and the Parise buyouts and, you know, I, I, I still don't fully get the Ryan Suter buyout. I, I get maybe there were, there were things we didn't know about, or, you know, none of us are in the room. Um, you look at that and a lot of us went, Ooh, that's going to cause real salary cap problems. And you might be looking at the team now saying, Oh, maybe that was overblown. The The real issues don't kick in until next year. It's yeah. one of those weird things with the way the buyout works. They're they're giving up a, like a good chunk of money. It's a little under $5 million of their cap this year on those buyouts, but that goes to double digits um, for the three years after. I mean, it goes like 12, 14, 14. It's a huge hit. So, you know, in some sense, maybe it feels a little bit like this is the year they kind of have to make a run because – Boy, the next three years, they're they're going to be competing with one hand tie behind their back because they literally almost twenty percent of their salary cap is going to be tied up in guys that aren't there anymore. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. uh, As we mentioned earlier in the show, we're we're, we're fishing for the MGM sponsorship. It's McIndoo, Granger, Mendes. MGM. Bet MGM is, of course, the proud sponsor of this. Uh, they are the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. We bring them in for a little Granger things. What do you say, Jesse Granger? How's it going, guys? Hey. Pretty good. It is good. Like, listen, we got a couple of kind of hockey pool-related questions for you and, uh, you know, some 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 betting questions. I have one that I've I've heard people talk about this, and I think it's an important thing to bring up, and that is, each day that passes, it feels like we might be getting closer to the National Hockey League and the Players Association saying, you know what, we're not sending our stars to Beijing, which I would imagine would drastically alter the betting odds of the men's hockey tournament. So my question would be, could you potentially start to lay down money now on like Germany or some country that probably wouldn't be great if there was NHLers, but now if you remove NHLers and it's more a more even playing field, like, can that happen? Or will we just see this tournament be completely taken off the books? Like how, like, 
what do we what do we do here with the with the Olympics around the corner? Yeah, I think it's actually you bring up a great point. I think it's a good way to maybe get ahead of the line. Um, right now, Germany is plus four thousand, so forty to one to win the gold medal. Obviously, because Germany doesn't have a whole lot of NHL players, and if Canada and the U.S. and Sweden all bring their their teams, they're they pretty much have no chance. Um, whereas if Suddenly, the NHL players aren't there. Germany has a fighting chance. Another team that I would say maybe you're not going to get 40 to 1 odds on. They're only plus 350 right now. They're the second favorite, but that's Russia uh, or ROC, however you want to say it. And right now, they're they're right behind Canada, um, kind of up there with Sweden in terms of odds. But I would think that if the NHLers are not able to go... Um, Russia would become the immediate runaway favorites. Um, we've seen it in past years. Um, they have a lot of guys that are really good over in the KHL, and they they have been able to put together gold medal winning teams um, without NHL players. So I do think that, yes, Germany is probably the long shot to, to try to get the most value on. But then there's another team that if, if you're trying to maybe pick the favorite without having to pay a favorite price, I think you can get that on Russia right now. That's yeah. I'm just I'm just curious about how that that. That all plays out. Yeah, I would have never even thought of that. I like it, Ian uh, thinking ahead there. Yeah. Because it almost feels like anyone who isn't Canada, the odds move up and Canada drops significantly because they, they tend not to do as well in those types of scenarios. But definitely worth thinking about. Yeah. Now, listen, uh, we are part of this, Sean and I and, and some of the other hosts. And Me I too. I even remember, our, you're part of the office pools. Yeah. Uh, Fantasy hockey pool, right, Jesse? I'm barely a part of it. I'm somewhere down there, yeah. way at the bottom. It's, well, it's hard I, to it's call not me a part. going well for me. This is. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I just checked my standings today. I, I had checked the other day. I am sitting in 2,430th place. Sorry, oh, no, 2,000. Okay. No, I actually I've fallen. 2,731st place. But I'm kind of okay, middle of the big pack. shot. All right, wow. That's, you don't have maybe to come I'm on here that. and brag. I mean, I'm above 2,000. I thought I was doing worse than I am. Maybe, wow. maybe I'm doing. I'm in, I'm in the top like 1,500. I think. Oh wow! wow. I think my I number realize starts how many there four, were. So yeah, that was. Yeah. Uh, but so here's here's the deal though. Yeah. If you're like me and you're just getting crushed in this thing, they if if people didn't see it and you're in the pool, they have opened up a a one time only trading period where basically in December you can swap out two guys um out of your roster and 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 bring in somebody else and uh you know I already went in this morning I I I had Nikita Kucherov for example in that second box uh not going well for me he's missing uh, a ton of time um I I plugged in this kid I don't know if you've heard of him Leon Dreisaitl uh he's he's doing pretty well so I feel like that's going to make me a little bit better um but I still got one spot to go so Help me out, Jet. Like, who are the guys? Because I mean, you can you can chase the guys who already have a lot of points, but you're not getting credit for that. It's it's from this point on. Who are the guys that are going to outperform from this point on? That that maybe I can grab where I'm not just following the crowd because I want to I want to gain some ground here. Right. Yeah. So so we're looking at it from the hockey pool perspective, and we're also looking at it from a fantasy hockey perspective. Yeah. We're a quarter yeah. of the way through the season, and. Hockey's a weird game, right? I mean, sometimes like goal scoring is so streaky and sometimes you do everything right for 20 games and just the goals don't go in. And usually those types of players, as we've seen, the goals eventually come. And and when they do, um, you want to be the guy who picked up that guy or traded for that guy right before he did. Um, to me, the number one guy who stands out is Kevin Fiala in Minnesota. And he's 
currently second in the NHL in goals below expected. He's minus four and a half goals above expected this season. Um, it's kind of insane that he only has as uh, sorry, only has three goals. Um, he's the only player in the top 13 in scoring chances in the entire NHL that doesn't have double digit goals. And he only has three. Um, it's kind of insane. He's, he's such a good player. He's fast. He plays with really talented players in Minnesota. That team has gone. It's almost weird watching the wild play. We're so used to them being a boring, like one, three, one trap, like not exciting hockey to now. They're one of the most entertaining teams in all of hockey to watch. I love watching the wild. And, um, I think Fiala is kind of a, a victim of, he's been on the third line down there with Victor Rask. I think he needs to play higher than that. But he is on that top power play unit with Kirill Kaprizov and those guys. And he's he's a guy who is a proven 20-goal scorer. He's The last two seasons, he scored 20-plus. Even last year with the, with the shortened season, he still scored 20. He shoots around 12% for his career, which is about average. This year, he's shooting 4%. I just look at that number, and it's like, there's no way Kevin Fiala is going to shoot 4% over 82 games. Um I think he's got the opportunities playing on that top power play unit. He's going to move up in the lineup and he's creating the six. He's got the sixth most scoring chances in the entire league at even strength of 56. So um, I just don't see a way Kevin Fiala's numbers don't go way up from now. So if whether it's in that hockey pool or if it's someone in your in your fantasy hockey league that is frustrated with Kevin Fiala and hasn't played well, he may even be dropped like he's a guy that with three goals, like I wouldn't be shocked if someone dropped him. Um, he's a guy that I would definitely be looking to buy low on. And I, I know it's funny that you bring up that your your view of the Minnesota Wild. That's exactly our analysis is like this was the epitome of a vanilla franchise for a couple of decades. And now all of a sudden we're trying to rewire our brains to understand that they're actually fun and entertaining. Like get out there and watch a Minnesota wild. I know it doesn't sound like something we often say. Uh, there are a couple of other players that, uh, that you have also right on your by low list as, as Sean and I kind of look at our, and you probably also look at your office pools team and you're like, okay, is there somebody I can swap out here? Who else you got for us? Yeah. Another team just kind of stay on that that theme, another team that has changed their identity, the Anaheim Ducks have gone from a bottom feeding team that is kind of trying to rebuild to maybe the rebuild is here. And the young players that they've got coming up, Zegers, I just watched them last night playing against the Golden Knights, and, and they are a fun, exciting team. And that top line in Anaheim, Troy Terry obviously is on fire. He is not a guy you're going to buy low on. If anything, you're selling high on Troy Terry. He's playing above his head right now. And, and Sam Steele has been playing really well on that top line. And the third guy is Adam Henry. And the numbers have not followed for him, especially with the points that Steele and Terry have. You'd think Henrique would be way up there. He's currently in the top eight in the NHL in high danger chances, but he only has six goals. This is a crazy stat. Adam Henrique has 45 high danger chances this season. That's 10 more than Connor McDavid. Wow. <laughs> which is unbelievable. So a guy who's got 10 more high danger chances than Connor McDavid only has six goals. He's playing on the top line with two talented players that are producing. He averages over two minutes of power play time per game. And he's a guy who's never shot below 12% in his for a full season in his entire NHL career. And he's really struggling to put the puck in the net right now. So I think Adam Henrique is due for a streak, kind of like the one Troy Terry's had. Maybe not quite that crazy, but I think Henrique is a guy who's underperforming based on what he's doing on the ice i love that stat but i am gonna argue i think every time Connor mcdavid touches the puck should count as a high danger <laughs> scoring even if yeah. it's behind his own net and you should just go ahead and, and chalk it up 
<laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> Another guy who he's actually in COVID protocol right now, um, which may actually allow you to get him even cheaper, is Brendan Gallagher um, in Montreal. He's playing on their second line with Jake Evans and Arturi Lakin, and he's he's scored 30 goals twice in his career. He's been a regular 20-goal scorer, and he's only got four so far this season, despite being uh, 11th in the league in high-danger chances. He's also got 70 total scoring chances, which is a ton, and he's shooting 7%. Um, and and you for for guys like this, it's not just the like I'm looking at the 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 goals below expected and and who who's getting chances and aren't producing, but it's also opportunity. And Brendan Gallagher is playing on a top power play unit with Suzuki and Toffoli that is really struggling. And kind of like here in Vegas, a team that can't score on the power play, you, those those goals are going to come eventually. A team's not going to go the entire season, you would think. <laughs> with the struggles that Montreal's going through with the man advantage. So I think a guy on their top power play unit and Brendan Gallagher, I think he can, I think he's a guy you can buy low on also. Well, listen, Jesse, this is uh, this has been informative and, uh, and helpful when we're trying to kind of maybe improve our hockey pool teams uh, midway through the season. Uh, appreciate the visit as always. And uh, we'll get you again for, uh, for next Thursday show. Thanks for having me guys. Right on. Thanks. Building a portfolio with fidelity basket portfolios. is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. All right, always great to uh, to connect with Jesse Granger. Why don't we uh, open up the mailbag here? We got some emailed questions to us. You can email us to um, or at sorry the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com, the Athletic Hockey Show at gmail.com. Uh, and just coming off that conversation with Jesse Granger, um, this is an interesting email question from Chris. Chris wants to know, uh, hey guys, out of the following players who are basically producing at a point per game play uh, point per game pace or close to it. Who do you think is actually going to finish the season that way? In in other words, who do you think can actually hang at the eighty point pace at the rest of the for the rest of the season? Uh, the options here that Chris has: Chandler Stevenson, Troy Terry, Mikael Granlund, or Chris Kreider. Is there is there one guy out of that four that you're like, you know what? I could see that guy um, coming up. Like Kreider to me, Sean, he's on a sixty goal pace, which obviously yeah. is not sustainable. But I mean. He's off to a great shooting start. about twenty six percent. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, I think the the clear answer here is none of the above. Um, but uh, we are not being given that option. Uh, so if I had to pick one, uh, hmm, you know, I I think the one I'm going to pick if I've, if I've got to is is Troy Terry, not because I think he he can maintain. The pace that that he's been on, and even that he's he's slowed down a little bit since he had that huge streak. He's just out of all those guys, he's the one who's still young enough that you go, you know what? Maybe we we don't really know what this guy right. is yet. You know, there is a chance we've seen guys. You know, he's he's twenty four. That would be a little bit old to suddenly make a big jump in these days. You know, by the time you're twenty four, you're you've already been in your prime for a little bit. Um, but he's he's not a guy like um, you know. Chris Kreider, even Michael Granlin, where you got guys who are right around that 30 years old mark. It's very rare for somebody to suddenly make a leap there. I mean, Brad Marchand kind of did it, but he was, he was even a little bit younger than that. Um, and you, you know, you look at some of the numbers on, on 
on these guys. And, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at the one number that's, that's really a good one to look at. If you're, if you're looking at someone who's got a lot of points is the on ice shooting percentage, just, which is what does everybody shoot when they're on the ice? Not just them. Um, because obviously your own personal shooting percentage is, is heavily influenced by luck, but it's, it's also your own personal skill set. Whereas if everybody on the ice with you is running hot, that's going to bump up your, your point total. And both of those guys have got some pretty high numbers in that, uh, that category. I mean, Granlin's almost at 16%, which is completely unsustainable in, in this league, even for a skilled player, uh, yeah, Troy Terry is my my pick out of those guys. I think, and then Chandler Stevenson. The, the The issue with him is you're you're sitting there going, when does Jack Eichel show up? When does he get bumped down the lineup? And and how does that uh, how does that play out? So I I don't think I'd have him. I I'll, I'll go Troy Terry if you force me to pick one of those four guys. Yeah, I think Troy Terry, who's got 15 goals and 25 points, might be the best human interest story in the NHL this year, just kind of coming out of nowhere. But along those lines here, let me just ask you. You talk about guys, it's very rare for them to get up into this upper echelon at this stage or age of their career. I want to ask you about two guys in particular. One, uh, Nazem Kadri's top five in scoring right now in the league. 29 points mm-hmm. uh, entering games on Thursday evening. You know, Nazem Kadri, has been a, he's been a 30-goal guy. He's never produced points at, at this pace. He's closing in on, um, you know, point uh, and a half a game. And the other guy's Matt Duchesne, where... You know, Sean, Matt Duchesne, I think we just assume, well, that guy's just going to go to Nashville and slowly devolve into like a 37-point player making $8 million and, and whatever. Matt Duchesne has 24 points in 22 games. He is in the, well, he's 11th in scoring now. He, I, he was top 10 yesterday. Uh, but, but he's having this kind of bounce-back season, 13 goals. Like out of those guys, like is is there either one of those guys that can sustain this? Like Kadri and and Matt Duchesne, a couple of guys that are you know north of thirty that we you know kind of figured that maybe their most productive days were behind them. Yeah, I mean, I I think as far as sustaining what they're doing now, you bank on Matt Duchesne because he has at least earlier in his career he's had a few years where he's he's done the about a point a game thing. He's yeah. always been a guy who left you wanting a little bit more. Um, you know, he was high pick and, and, you know, brought in as a potential franchise guy and he, he's never quite got there. And, and obviously when he, when he started bouncing around teams a little bit, it, uh, uh, it was easy enough to write him off. And, and then he signs the big contract in Nashville and, and that hasn't worked out. Uh, but you know, could he be a point a game guy? Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, he's, he's come pretty close to doing it a few times that that's probably the ceiling of what we could have expected from him this year in, in a best case and uh you know that's it's good for the predators because they they're they're locked in on this guy so they need something from him um you know Kadri a lot less likely to maintain what he's doing now because what he's doing is so much more than Duchesne I mean he's forget about a point a game he's he's uh he's well north of that and the interesting thing with Kadri is whenever you see a guy especially a center who's got you know a lot of points the first thing you go and check, or the first thing I go and check, is I say, okay, sh- show me his scoring log, because I want to see how many of these are secondary assists. Because you know, it's like, yes, sometimes you make a nice pass that sets up another pass for a play, but a lot of times you see those secondary assists. That's that's some luck playing in. That if if you got a guy who's who's got a ton of those, and and he really doesn't, you know, for him it's been uh, it's been uh, the the goals, but the assists have come on the uh, they've been primary assists mostly, which is. 
an indicator that, yeah, this guy's legitimately playing really well. And as a Leafs fan, I've got, uh, you know, I've got some affinity for, for Nazem Kadri, even, even despite the highs and lows of his time in Toronto. Um, the obvious thing with him is you look at it and say, Nathan McKinnon was out. Kadri played, you know, more ice time, more power play time, all of that stuff. I, I don't think he's he's going to lose all of that right away, but McKinnon's back now, and and this this is his team. So I would expect Nazem Kadri to come back to the pack a little bit, but coming back to the pack could still be a career year, uh, which at uh, at 31, and oh my God, it makes me feel so old to say that yeah. Nazem Kadri's 31. Um, it's uh, it would it would it would be a cool story, and then he's he's got to make it through a playoff run uh, before we before we declare the season a success. Yeah, exactly. Get through it without being suspended. Hey, I'm going to sneak one more mailbag question in here because I'll be honest with you. Actually, I've never even heard of this player who's apparently in the Hockey Hall of Fame, and that's Oliver Siebert. Um, yeah, Blake Blake has emailed the show. Blake says, "Why is it that Oliver Siebert is listed in the Hockey Hall of Fame?" In the goalies section, when you visit the Hockey Hall of Fame website, hhof.com. But when you go to Hockey Reference or any other place, he's listed as a center. Now, I know that turn of the century, and I'm talking turn of the previous century, so like into, into mm. the 1900s, uh, there was a lot of confusion about you know positions and where guys played. But Blake wants to know, like, what's the deal on this Oliver Siebert guy? Why, why does the Hall of Fame have him listed as a goalie and everybody else lists, lists him as a center? And he obviously was a significant enough player to, to get into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, and look, I'll be honest. I wrote a book about NHL history, and even I had to go and kind of dig into uh, this guy. If, if, if the name rings a bell, it's probably because of uh, Earl Siebert, who was a, uh, a, a player years later. It, this was his father. Um, but even, I mean, if you know who Earl Siebert is, you're an old timer. So as best I can figure out, Oliver Siebert was a forward, but he did play a little bit of goal early in his career. So maybe that's where the the issue is coming from. Maybe somebody just looked at his list of positions he had played and saw goalie on there. But I, I think it's just a mistake. I think it's the, he's clearly was inducted and, and in, he never even played in the NHL. He predates that, but he, he clearly was inducted based on what he did as a, as a forward, uh, scoring goals, and uh, he he wasn't a goalie, or at least for any significant stretch of time. It's somebody at the Hall of Fame website has uh, has made a mistake there. All right, that's going to lead us perfectly into this week in hockey history. We like to wrap up the Thursday episode uh, of the, the the pod with this because it's a lot of fun. Going to give you a, a couple of dates in hockey history that happened this week. Uh, a real quick one here: November thirtieth, nineteen sixty-eight. I had no idea that this was an NHL record or who held it or that they were even looking at this thing. But Pittsburgh Penguins had a forward named Val Fontaine. And November 30th, 1968, Val Fontaine had an NHL record penalty streak run to 185 games. Um, This week in 1968, Johnny finally took a minor penalty uh, to end the streak. Uh, I guess a double-barrel question for you. A, did you know that this was the record that somebody once won 185 games without a penalty? And B, is there any way a current NHL player could go more than two seasons without taking a penalty? Yeah, I, I mean, I did know this. Uh, the, the name was familiar, and I think it was because a few years ago, uh, was, who, was it Matthew Shane? Or who was it? Somebody had like a, a Ryan O'Reilly maybe went uh, – I think it was O'Reilly went like almost a full season without a penalty. And then they like 
they took a penalty on like a face-off violation or something like that to to end the streak. And people were trying to figure out like who holds the record, what's the longest people have gone. Um, I think it could happen these days. I, I think certainly, you know, the the 60s were a lot closer to this current era um, as far as uh, penalty levels and that kind of thing. Obviously, nobody was doing it in the 70s or 80s or or even most of the 90s where it was a uh, there was a, a lot more of the rough stuff and uh, fighting and, and all of that. That was less of an uh, an issue in the 60s. Um, although obviously it was rare even then for somebody to go uh, a long stretch without a penalty. I, I feel like you could see it uh, these days. The, the one thing that might trip you up is that, uh, no pun intended, is is that uh, there's there's more penalties these days that are somewhat out of player's control. Like the you flip a puck over the glass, that's an automatic penalty. The face-off violation we talked about, you, you tap a guy's stick and it breaks, you're going to get two minutes for slashing on that. So, you know, something like that, you, you'd have to have some really good luck on your, on your side to avoid getting a penalty at all. Even if you were, you know, completely squeaky clean, as far as the hooking and holding and, and more traditional stuff, but I could see it. I, I don't, I wouldn't put that in my category of unbreakable records. Um, it's a long shot for sure, but I, I wouldn't be completely stunned if someone took a run at it someday. You know, Carolina fans are probably saying, you know, Jacob Slavin, right? Like he, yeah, he's kind of known for for really not taking penalties. But as a defenseman, but, I just can't imagine how you could. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Kyle Wellwood back in the day did he not have a season where he only had two pins or something like that? Yeah, yeah, uh, he may have. It's and, uh... and you're right. It was Ryan. So I looked it up. Ryan O'Reilly. How about this? Ryan O'Reilly has had two seasons in his NHL career where he played 80 games and ended up with two pins. Two different mm-hmm. seasons, he had 80 games and two penalty minutes. And like I said, one of one those of was, was, was a questionable call where it was, uh, yeah. And and he had had a he had a streak going, and I remember it being a being a thing. And it, you know, he he didn't get his money's worth. It's not like he cross checked somebody in the mouth to to break the streak. But yeah, I mean, there are. Look, I'm I'm in the the Hockey Writers Association, so once a year I have to go to penalty minutes and yeah. you know do the backwards sort so that I can fill out my Lady Bing ballot. And, exactly. Uh, uh, there, there are guys who, uh, even even good players, but you know, it maybe might be somebody who isn't even a a, a first line player. You know, you play forty or fifty games a year, and suddenly you're four four seasons in, and you don't have one. Although, I don't know, some of these guys, I feel like if they got the streak got a little bit long, maybe they come up to the you know at the end of the game, just like I'm gonna I'm gonna get I'm gonna at least try to grab a roughing penalty here, so I don't have the goose egg in the uh, in the exactly. pimp column. Exactly. A couple of other uh, this week in hockey history. In fact, when I gave you the list of, hey, here's some some potential ones, because that's how it works. I kind of look it up and, and I always leave it to you because you're, you're you're so great with this. And like you said, you have a book on hockey history. So this is great. And it's like you put in bold. We have to do this one. Yep. It's December 2nd, 1995, a date uh, that will whole live. fan base already knows exactly where we're Dece- going on this one. Yeah, we've yeah, December 2nd, 1995 is a date that will live in infamy for fans of the Montreal Canadiens. That's the night that the Detroit Red Wings basically ran Patrick Waugh out of town and changed the trajectory for multiple franchises there, right? Like Colorado, Montreal, you could argue Detroit. Uh, a lot of things happened on that night in uh, in 1995. Yep, and uh, you know one of the most famous, famous games, famous trades, famous images. You know, Wah with his hands up in the air, kind of playing to the crowd as they're as they're mocking him. Um, that that was that was a big one, and you know, it's one of those stories where it's 
it's such an irresistible story that it's sort of been molded in over the years into something it wasn't to, to the point where, you know, these days it, you know, it's it, it, the, the version of the story you hear is, you know, Patrick Wall was a great goalie and everybody loved him in Montreal and he had one bad game and it all fell apart. And it wasn't that there, there had been issues um, for, uh, for a little while with, with Patrick Wall in Montreal, maybe wanting out, maybe them wanting him out, feeling like he had become bigger than the team, even in that, Training camp, there had been trade rumors that uh, he could be on the move, and and he started off really slowly, but then uh, was playing well. And then this this game kind of came out of nowhere because no, you know he was he was playing well, and he was Patrick Waugh. You don't expect him to get shelled like that. Um, my favorite part of the story, and and I think we've talked about this before, was that uh, that morning uh, apparently he goes Patrick Waugh goes out to breakfast at his favorite breakfast joint. Who does he run into? Mike Vernon and who is the goaltender of the visiting Detroit Red Wings. And they get to talking and Patrick Waugh basically says, man, I'm, I, it, it's rough here. I'm having a tough time. I, there's so much pressure. I don't know if I'm happy here. And Mike Vernon, who had experienced something similar in Calgary and had just recently come to Detroit, says, man, you, maybe you got to get out of here because I love it in Detroit. I, it's the best thing I ever did to, you know, to, to get out of that tough Canadian market. And then that night, the game happens and, you know, Vernon's at the other end of the ice watching Patrick Waugh wave his arms around and then go to the bench. And, and he's just thinking, oh, no, what have I done? Because yeah. I think I just maybe talked this guy into quitting on the team. And he kind of had, um, which is a great story on its own, let alone when you know that Waugh then goes to Colorado. And we know that he later has another meeting with Mike Vernon under very different circumstances. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, you know, we, we'll never know what happens if, that game doesn't play out that way. If Patrick Waugh gets the hook after three goals instead of nine, um, it's it's quite likely that he still gets traded at some point that season or the season after, but who knows? And and boy, if the Colorado Avalanche don't go out and get him, uh, a lot of history changes probably for that franchise. What I don't think we give enough credit to, and I, I didn't realize this until I was digging, is that on that exact same date, December 2nd, but now we're going to fast forward uh, I, you know, basically by, by 20 years, December 2nd, 2017, the same two teams meet in the same city, Montreal and Detroit, December 2nd, 2017. The result is pretty much exactly the same. It's 10-1, except it's for the Habs. Like, yep. how weird is that, that on the exact same date, there would be these two lopsided scores. Obviously, nobody remembers the 10-1 Habs win because it really, oh, man, they ran Jimmy Howard out of town or I don't yeah, mm-hmm. what, whatever, right? But it's, it's crazy that on the exact same date that this would happen, right? Yeah, it's it's pretty wild. And I, I looked it up uh, just now. It was Jimmy Howard and, and Peter Mrazek were the goalies. Well, so they ran them know, out of town. Was, they, they, they're both not there anymore. And uh, yeah, Carey Price was in goal for, for Montreal and... Uh, oh boy. And, and who do you think led the, uh, the Habs in scoring that night? I, you know what? With it's four like, assists. Oh, I, cause I feel like did Paul Byron have a Paul hat-trick? Byron had a hat trick. Yeah. yeah okay, that's, that's, a, the only that's thing a good I, pull. He yeah, was the only I, one with multiple goals, but four point game, four assists. Uh, boy, oh boy. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you a hint. He had a more recently, he had a much more famous assist for the Montreal Canadiens. A much more famous assist for the Canadians. Wait, this, this seems is, like it's this a reverse. Is, this is my this is my embittered Leaf fan talking here. Oh, Galchenyuk. Alex right? Galchenyuk. The, the, the yeah. giveaway in the uh, <laughs> had four assists. <laughs> yes, but that's a good uh, one. not. I was going to none, go none of them as pretty as that uh, 
that uh, to set up the two on oh oh man yeah no i was i was gonna go with like thomas placanitz or somebody but yeah that uh that probably makes sense there on uh on uh <laughs> <laughs> on Galchenyuk. All right, one other this date in, in hockey history, and this is a really cool one, okay? And especially if you don't know the backstory and the history, December 3rd, 1987, uh, the Boston Bruins announce and kind of decide they're going to be retiring Phil Esposito's number seven. The problem is Raymond Bork, who is a really good defenseman already at that time, or was already about eight years into his career, he was already wearing number seven and... You know, so you're thinking, how's this going to work? And, you know, maybe we let you take the story from there, Sean. How how, how did the yeah. Boston Bruins do and pull off, I think, one of the great jersey reveals of all time? Yeah, and it was a great, uh, it, it was a great moment. And we've seen this happen in some other franchises where um, before a number's retired, it's it's given to another player. And usually the player just switches numbers. I think the Leafs did that with James Van Marienstijk a few years ago. I'm sure other teams have. Um in this case, what they do is they have Phil Esposito there for the ceremony. Remember, there's been some bad blood between the Bruins and Esposito uh, because of how he was traded in the 70s. So there's been a reconciliation. He he comes out there and they they bring him to center ice to to raise the jersey to the rafters. And at that point, Ray Bork skates out wearing the number seven. And the announcer says, um, you know, as no Bruin will ever wear number seven again, and Ray Bork pulls off the number seven jersey that he's wearing and hands it to Phil Esposito, yeah. revealing that Ray Bork is now wearing number 77, uh, which becomes his iconic number. You know, a lot of people don't don't even remember him wearing seven. Um, but it was a great moment. And Phil Esposito did not know they were going to do this. You know, Bork kind of takes the jersey off and then kind of does this little 360 spin so that everybody can see it. And it <laughs> yeah. takes a there's a it's a fun reaction because it takes the crowd a little while to figure out exactly what they're seeing and Esposito has a great reaction to it. And it's just, it's, it was, it was very cool. It was a great dramatic moment. Um, it was a great way to honor Phil Esposito. And it was also very cool for Ray Bork because remember, this is like the Gretzky Lemieux era to, to wear a double number was the, you know, kind of your sign that you were an elite player. And for him, it was almost like it, it, it was almost like Ray Bork being promoted into that upper echelon of superstars that he could now wear the double number as well. Uh, so it was very cool. It, it ranks up there. I have two all-time jersey moments that I love. The the first is is that one, uh, and the second is the the night that Mario Lemieux came back and they lowered his number from the rafters. Oh right, uh, yeah. Which is it was one of the all-time great goosebump moments. But uh, I, those two are neck and neck for me. But yeah, it was just a. A very cool, fun moment, and and uh, you know, Phil Esposito was not in on it, uh, as far as I understand it. And you could tell that it it meant something to him to see it. Uh, and if you if you seek out the YouTube clip to check it out, because the just the reaction of the crowd is and everyone involved is very cool. You know what I did? I never understood, and I read a quote as I looked this up uh, earlier in the day to kind of get a little bit more background on this story, because uh, I remember it as a kid, but you know, not not that much of it. Is Bork says he's quoted as saying uh he tells Esposito like this is your number I never should have had it and I'm thinking mm-hmm. how like how and why did the Boston Bruins give Ray Bork number seven like you know Esposito was a great player for Boston Stanley Cup winner you know record holder for for goals in a season until Gretzky came along like why was that number not protected like number four like like why did Ray Bork it's, get number seven yeah I mean I, I again it's because there was you know some 
some bitterness lingering over the fact, you know, he had just signed an extension in 75, I think it was. Uh, and then Harry Sinden turns around and trades into the Rangers and, and Esposito had been public about not liking that. And I, I just think it's, you know, it was a little bit of a, I don't want to say necessarily spite uh, to, to give his number to somebody else, uh, but, you know, it'd be kind of like the Islanders giving 91 to somebody and, you know, get to Matt, to Matt Barzell and being like, here you go, this is your number now, it's your team. Uh, as as sort of a little just a, a way to say we're done with the John Tavares era, it was kind of the same same thing there. And then most of this stuff time heals all wounds, and so uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I'm sure Ray Bork probably wasn't thrilled when he gets to his first training camp and they give him number seven. But uh, you know, you you take what you're given. But it was the right move, and and it was one of those great things that could only happen in like the 80s, right? If it happened today, it would, it would be spoiled on Twitter, or, you know, there'd be some social media post or whatever. Um, but back then, there you just you had no idea until you actually saw it happen, and then you know you saw it in the clips and the newscast that night, and it was like, oh, I get it. Okay, that that is super cool. You know what? I it, it as we close out here, it just reminds me when when. Uh, Scott Niedermeyer left the Devils, and he did so in less than ideal terms, right? Like he left as a free agent, went to sign with his brother in, in Anaheim. Lou Lamorello, of course, is not doesn't have the reputation of maybe being the most sentimental guy. And I think it was Mike Motto. One Remember way to the, put it, yeah. Yeah, uh, the, the, the defenseman, he was like kind of a journeyman guy. But was it not Mike Motto who came into training camp like the next year or at some point shortly thereafter, and he he's got number twenty seven, and he's wow. like, I don't want to wear twenty seven. They're like, No, that's your number, man. And that I like, I don't know. Is that is twenty? Like now, I don't even know. Now I need to look this up. Did did the yeah. Devils retire? I think they did, right? I would imagine they. I'm looking at the 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 year after. There's a guy by the name of Barry Talixson who apparently wore twenty seven. I thought it was New Mike. Jersey was I Devils. wrong? Was it not Mike Mott? Well, no, because well, this was during the season, so maybe they gave it to him in training camp, and he was like either no or or talked them out of it. But the the only player to wear it during the season, uh, at least according to Hockey Reference, is wait a minute, Barry Talixson, a right winger who scored Barry one Talixson. goal in twenty career games. Um, but I don't know if he if he wore it uh, <laughs> for that game, but uh, what? Listen, Barry, if you're listening to this podcast, let us know what yeah. happened there. But you got, you got to get like that. I mean, what are you going to do? You're not going to tell Lou Lamorello like, no, man, I'm yeah. not wearing that. Uh, but uh, oof, that's uh, yeah. The 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 Devils have retired okay. Scott Niedermeyer's number, and as, as have the Ducks. So he's one of the few players who's had it uh, had his number retired by multiple. But now I'm going to look it up. Now we can't we can't leave on this. Uh, no. This cliffhanger. So we're gonna we're gonna check and see other okay. players that have worn number twenty seven for the Devils. But okay, but ex- I'm looking this up here real quick. According to Hockey Reference, it says Ryan Graves uh, has worn the number twenty seven. That can't be right in New Jersey. Yeah, it says in uh, 2021 that that but, couldn't be right because it would have been retired then. I would imagine, right? Unless there was some. No, I think that's yeah. a, that's a glitch. But yeah, on- no, Mike, Mike. Mike uh Mike Motto, right? Mike Motto is he wore it for uh 3 years it says yes, uh, after I, I, I after remember that, I remember that being a big deal that like he didn't want yeah. the number but they were like you're getting the number. And it's, it was like to stick it to to Niedermeyer. And apparently David Clarkson as well has wore it uh 
for the uh, for the devil. So I don't know. It's it's always this weird thing because I know when you get into retired numbers or or whatever, especially when it's a player where you kind of know it's going to be retired at some point, but it hasn't yet. And I know some people say, well, let the next generation see somebody wearing the number or whatever. But yeah, you you can get into some weird politics and and drama around these these numbers that you know are going to be retired or or that aren't like. You know, I, 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 the Leafs for the longest time didn't retire numbers. They honored them, but they kept them in circulation. Uh, but when Wendell Clark left, you know, because he wore number 17, that's a common number. Every team's got a guy wearing number 17. Nobody ever wore that number. And I think it was partly because they just knew that, you know, the, don't don't make some rookie in training camp put <laughs> yeah. that on and, and skate around with with that because it's uh, that, that would just be game over for them as far as the fan base. Oh, man. Well, listen, at some point, I, this is a future down goes Brown column, best jersey number worn by multiple guys for the same franchise, right? Like, ooh, not uh, bad. Yeah, that's not bad, right? Like, because in, in Ottawa, I think Alexi Yashin, Jason Spezza, and now Drake Batherson have all worn number nineteen. Like, it's okay, you know, pretty good. So anyway, that that's some food for that's, thought for you. The, future the column Bork, idea. Bork Esposito is going to be tough. I don't know. Oh yeah, I, you're I not you're not knocking off beat, Bork Esposito. Like who? Like, boy, like I. I'm ha- and I'm sure there's somebody else who, you know, before that has uh uh word too, because back in the old days, number seven was uh was uh was a good pretty, one. So yeah. Oh, exactly. But yeah, but anyway. no, I like it. In fact, anyone's got any suggestions, let us know. Let's see if I can get the listeners to write my next column for there you. There we go. The interns, the down goes brown interns. We can all be interns. Let's do it. Talking about all right, listen, we'll leave it there. I love the fact that this last segment ended uh, up with us dropping out. What is it, Barry Talixon? Yeah, that's <laughs> Barry Talixon reference. I, Barry Talixon's driving to work right now, going, wait a second. That's me. Yeah. I'm Barry Talixon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Hey, listen, this was a ton of fun. Uh, thanks for this. We'll look forward to uh, doing it again next week. And a uh, big thanks to everybody for joining us here. I will get you again next week. Like I said, you can email us your questions at the athletic hockey show at gmail.com, the athletic hockey show at gmail.com. You can drop us a voicemail too. We'd love to hear from you. 845-445-8459. And if you're not a subscriber with us, you can join us at theathletic.com slash hockey show. You can get an annual subscription for just $3.99 a month.